1: Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Uh, Thanks for being here, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Lucas Tomlinson from the Pentagon. He's been doing incredible reporting. Him and Jennifer Griffin, as good as he gets, and you know how frustrating it is. He's a military veteran who's watching the Pentagon get blamed for all this. The commanders are not worthy of our warfighters. That is pretty clear. Lucas Tomlinson, on how the Pentagon's handling getting the blame from the president, they actually came out and said, President Biden did, that the Pentagon didn't have any objections to leaving Bagram. Jake Sullivan doubled down on it yesterday, saying there wasn't value added. I don't know. What could a huge military base do between China and China? And Iran and Kabul. I can't even see the demo. I can't believe that they expect us to buy that. Big three. Now, with the
1: stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. The end of the day, Maria, we're going to have to go back. It's going to be far worse than September 10th, 2001, because we gave away all our bases. Our allies are being hunted down. And now we have a terrorist army armed to the teeth with American equipment.
2: It's unbelievable, and think about that. Michael Walls talks like a Green Beret who said, I used to fight there, and now i got to fight again, and i got to do it in a suit, and nobody is listening. What happens next now that we're gone? I'll give you the predictions as the Biden administration claims they have a mechanism to get our allies and our people out after we're gone. Can you say pay ransom? That better not be. And what's the word mechanism mean? Number two.
4: Instead of laying this off on the generals, Shouldn't the commander in chief take full responsibility given that they had to make a decision on Bagram based on the conditions that he set
5: for them? Any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul.
2: Do you believe this? Their advice. You know why? Because you knocked down to 600 people. How did Kabul fall to the Taliban? We let them have it. A new story in the Washington Post reveals the Taliban asked us if we could secure the city. If not, they would. We asked just for the airport. And that's why our people had a perimeter surrounded by Taliban and ended up a suicide bomber right in the middle.
6: Number one.
2: I'm not I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead.
6: On Afghanistan? I'm not going to answer Afghanistan now. Can you say if they're still in Afghanistan?
2: Okay. Okay. Rejected. That's what happens to any American or ally trying to get to the airport as our troops get ours, uh, get out uh, right before the deadline. Minus 300 of our citizens left behind and some of our allies. This is the most callous un-American thing any president has ever done, and he wants us to forget about it. He thinks this is just going to be a news cycle. He is wrong. So let's get started. U.S. evacuations are proceeding, but there was a problem. There were some rockets that were hit. Lucas Tomlinson reported on that, and we hit back with a few drone strikes, and evidently civilians are killed, but I don't know what to believe, and certainly if you could take out so-called ISIS-K, who I never heard of up until the last three weeks, if you could take them out now, why didn't you take them out the 12 hours prior when you said an imminent suicide attack was coming, Secretary of Defense Austin? So I am not going to applaud what Joe Biden's doing. It's way too late, and I have no idea what he's aiming at, so— and probably either does he, over the horizon capabilities in a mountainous region. We tried over the horizon capabilities. We had to get down the ground with the Northern Alliance, and we still missed bin Laden. But now we got better at it? Talk to anybody in the military. There's no such thing. In this case, if you have a flat surface Africa, that's a little bit different. So let's go back to what I was saying. Reunite now, evidently, there was two separate incidents, and there were many more, but that were recorded. Bagram, um, uh, Bagram had an American universe, excuse me. Uh, Kabul had an American university there, and it just showed the future of the country. Uh, Afghans were pouring in, women and men being educated at the highest level, days away from being uh, getting degrees in engineering and, and, uh, and finance. And next thing you know, the Taliban come, and the first thing they do is they switch flags. They get rid of the Bagram flag, excuse me, they get rid of the Afghan flag, and they put up a white flag of the Taliban. And the students know they're in trouble. So they they got arranged to get in a bus and go to the gates of the airport, at which time they were turned around because the gates are closed. I got briefed yesterday by a senator who told me that they got briefed at the highest level, the Pentagon has closed the base, so you can't get out. I don't blame the Marines on the inside, believe me. they The Turks reportedly aren't securing the place, so there is nobody else to be there except the Taliban. So I understand you got to get out with secrecy, I understand that. But I don't understand how you'll leave 300 people behind. So a bus full of students shows up. They wait, they wait, they wait for seven hours knowing they're sitting ducks. Then they get turned around. And then they get reassured by an official. You know what they say? You'll be allowed out. We gave your name and passport number to, uh, to the Taliban. The students are horrified. Would you not be? Think about this. You just gave the passport number. And the name of every student who, by the way, is going to be targeted now because they're being westernized. Mitch McConnell, there's a lot of people that put up things well to talk about the horror of this. But here's what he said to Chris yesterday. Chris Wallace, cut five.
7: Totally not accurate. Uh, Once again, the president's off the mark. Uh, We hadn't lost as many as 13 people, which we lost Thursday, in any of the last four years. In fact, our casualties since 2014 have been quite modest, quite modest. Uh, we lost more, I repeat, more of our military personnel last Thursday than we lost in any one of the last four years. So the violence has been, has been dramatically reduced for American personnel. Remember, in the whole war, Chris, we have regretfully lost a couple of thousand of our people. That's very regretful, but the Afghans have lost. 65,000. They have been fighting, and we've been in the background helping them with counterterrorism and the ongoing training of the, the military. The policy was working, if you remember why we went there, which was to keep the Taliban out and the terrorists from being able to operate with impunity so they could attack us again here at home.
2: So we're out of leverage. As we leave, we're out of leverage, and there's Hundreds of Americans left behind. Now, they want to minimize it and say, well, some of these Americans are choosing not to leave. That's situation." choice. No, no. They're choosing not to leave because you're telling them they can't bring their families. What choice do you expect them to make if you're saying this? So still, the State Department still wants to leave. And the Defense Department says we have no choice because they will not commit more troops with the objective that they have. So they want to have us believe that they will still get out. How? By paying them off, by giving them billions of dollars, by convincing the IMF to release five billion that they say what belonged to them, but they're a terrorist regime that took the country by force, so therefore they're not eligible for this by recognition. That's called hostage taking, and that's called ransom, which is a go sign for every other terror organization to go grab an American and get what you want. So listen to Anthony Blinken try to rationalize this callous, inhumane, anti-American move. Cut nine. Our commitment uh, to
8: continue to uh, help uh, people leave Afghanistan who want to leave and who are not out by September 1st, that endures. There's no deadline uh, on, that, uh, on that effort. And we have uh, ways, we have uh, mechanisms uh, to help facilitate the ongoing departure of people from Afghanistan if they choose to leave. What are those ways and mechanisms? Is it more negotiating with the Taliban? Well, look, I'm not going to uh, get into the detail, but let me say this first, uh, you may have seen that uh, just yesterday, a very senior Taliban official went on television and radio across the country and repeatedly assured people in Afghanistan that they would have the freedom to travel after august thirty first
2: i mean, i i this was a Friday announcement by the Taliban saying you have freedom to travel, knowing. That the Taliban were being shot at. The interior minister was dragged. The former interior minister was dragged through the streets. That you were just repelled back or people just tearing up your paperwork if the Taliban got a hold of you and you are an Afghan national. Americans weren't allowed to go through the gates. These are for the last few days, let alone weeks. They are arbitrarily harassed. But now they made an announcement that you'd still be able to go home afterwards. You know that's not the truth. He is citing a news report from a Taliban... As factual. And then when press goes, no, I don't trust them. So why are you saying it then? This is our Secretary of State, a guy that insisted on get this to go to the Hamptons uh the day that Kabul fell. That's where we had to find our Secretary of State. We know our president overworked from going every weekend to Delaware, went to Camp David, didn't want to come out, only came out to talk about Kabul's fall on Wednesday and went right back on vacation, realized how bad it looked, and eventually came back again. But nobody was going to sober him up to not have our troops pull out. So when asked in the ABC poll, should we leave Americans behind? 84% of Americans, that's eighty. of Democrats and 88% of Republicans say we should stay until all Americans are out. Only 38% approve of the president's style of evacuation. I don't know who those 38% are. That is way too kind. The Taliban will let you out, right? Okay. Let's take a look. New York Times. And I cite this because I'm not reading the Daily Caller, which says great stories, but people look at the Daily Caller as conservative. Uh, You know, they look at the, you know, certain publication, Huffington Post is very liberal. But when you hear about the New York Times, they go out of their way to make sure that Joe Biden looks good and Donald Trump looks bad. Here's the story. Hundreds of students and their relatives and staff of American University of Afghanistan gathered at a safe house on Sunday and boarded buses in what was supposed to be a final attempt at evacuation. But after seven hours of waiting for clearance to enter the airport gates and driving around the city, the group met a dead end. Evacuations were permanently called off. The airport gates remained a security threat. Quote, I regret to inform you the high command of Hamad Karzai Airport has announced that there will be no more flights, no more rescue flights. Quote, The scholar pilgrims were also turned away while seeking safe passage to a better future. Need to help of the U.S. government, who gave them hope they must not lose. Uh, That, according to an official. Get this. And by the way, they tried to refute that this story is true or not, that Politico had, that they gave all the names of the Afghans that we wanted out, along with the Americans. They said that never happened. Well, this story followed up that denial. They told us, we have given your names to the Taliban says the 24-year-old sophomore who was on the bus Sunday. We are all terrified. There is no evacuations. There is no getting out, and they have our names. When we come back, Lucas Tomlinson joins us, updates us on what's happening on the ground. It's horrific. It should be unacceptable.
1: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: A TALK SHOW THAT'S REAL. THIS IS THE BRIAN KILMEADE
4: SHOW. INSTEAD OF LAYING THIS OFF ON THE GENERALS, SHOULDN'T THE COMMANDER-IN-CHIEF TAKE FULL RESPONSIBILITY given, GIVEN THAT THEY HAD TO MAKE A DECISION ON Bagram BASED ON THE CONDITIONS That he set for them.
5: Chris, you've heard the president take ultimate responsibility for every decision he's made as commander in chief. He has expressly said the buck stops with him. But let's be real about Bagram. There is a difference between tactical advice from the commanders on the ground, what is the right operational method of executing a drawdown. On the strategic decision, that's a decision only a president can make. On the tactical decision of which is the right airport to have for an evacuation, of course, any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul.
2: Is that true? Lucas Tomlinson joined us, Pentagon reporter, trying to follow all the moving parts in this but this is a big one. We don't even have time to think about it, but it comes up in every tactical decision. Why did we give up uh, that pivotal base? Lucas, what do the people tell you? Did the Pentagon actually recommend this?
9: Brian, great to join you. In short, they did not. And Jake Sullivan is not being accurate. That's what officials here at the Pentagon are telling me. When the president told the military to go to zero— to get all combat troops out of Afghanistan, leave only a few hundred troops, about 650 in all, to guard the embassy. Remember how this all started a few months ago? It was about reducing the combat footprint to zero, just support the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. That meant they had to close Bagram. It wasn't a decision the generals were, uh, could make on their own. When the orders were to go to zero, Bagram had to be closed. And there's a lot of people here that regret that decision, Brent.
2: Left in the middle of the night, didn't tell anyone. Uh, and next thing you know, those prisoners are all exposed, and they knew they were all going to be let out. I mean, what went into that tactical move? Some of those people might have been the ones responsible. Well, one of them, the suicide bombing.
9: There's no question about it, Brian, not only do you have a prison, but remember, Bagram was pretty strategically located about an hour and a half drive north of Kabul in the desert, unlike this airport we're trying to evacuate from now, which is the middle of a crowded city of about five million. It's almost like LaGuardia in New York. Uh, Bagram Air Base, not only did you, have, did you have two runways, but you know, back in the day, you had a special operations task force there. You had jets. You had drones. You had AC-130 gunships. No one was getting anywhere near that base without being mowed down, I've also been told the evacuation process would have been a lot more streamlined. You wouldn't have 5,000 Afghans outside the Abbey Gate ripe for that suicide attack that tragically we saw late last week.
2: We would have to have set up a corridor, no question. There would have been Taliban, Taliban zones they had to go through. But i am much rather game plan for that than to go through a crowded city where you have no control, it seems. But you're the military guy with all the contacts. i got to bring you to something else. The Gates closed last night. What was the communication like? Because you had... These uh, these uh, the South Carolina, the Southern uh, Florida guys that Daryl Ice was trying to get out, got to the gate, got rejected. Then you had the, the the American University students. They were told to get in a bus and go there. They got rejected. They shut down the airport. Is that what you're hearing? Well, Brian, with the exception of
9: some Delta operators and CIA gra- CIA ground branch personnel, nobody is getting into the airport. Uh, there's some high risk, you know, missions that have been going on, but right now just, it's just race against time. Not only are the evacuations grinding to a halt, but, Brian, there's just really 30-plus hours left before, for the first time in nearly 20 years, there will be no U.S. troops on the ground in Afghanistan. Everyone's packing up right now to get out. It's not just diplomatic staff. It's the U.S. military. And remember, the U.S. military is not going to be leaving Apache gunships on the ramp at Kabul International. Those attack helicopters, though, you've got to fold the rotors, put those in a C-17. You've got to, you know, the C-RAM, that counter-rocket artillery mortar system, they're not leaving that for the Taliban. Unless they're going to bip it, uh, blow in place. Uh, You know, they're going to destroy some equipment, no question. Not everything's going to come out. But really, the clock is ticking, Brent.
2: Clock is ticking. Who's doing the security as we leave?
9: Well, you don't want to be the. It's going to be very challenging uh, right now. Of course, the Taliban is ringing the airport and. How would you like to be on that last flight out of Kabul? What is that going to look like? Are the Taliban be on the, you know, the ramp on the runway, waving goodbye? You know, those last soldiers doing a, you know, hasty 180 around the last aircraft, then running on board. It's going to be a very potentially dangerous situation, as we saw over the weekend, Brian. U.S. forces continue to be under attack five rockets shot down last night there was a, another a second reaper drone strike destroying that car full of not just explosives but suicide bombers it's a very dangerous time right now on the ground
2: what about the war between the pentagon and state and some of the misinformation and finger pointing where's the tension it, at when, when are we going to get the pentagon of side of the story
9: as Brian, I'm told that's going to come out, but you know, people of course are a little shy about you know breaking with their commander in chief. But everybody here is fuming over being blamed for the closing of Bagram Air Base. I mean, we discussed that at length. But I mean, that if if the United States had kept Bagram, you would have 2,500 troops, you'd have jets, drones, gunships you probably would have stopped this Taliban takeover. You'd have Afghan forces still loyal to the United States because they know the U.S. had their back. As you mentioned, when the U.S. disappeared in the middle of the night, it sent a, a pretty bad signal to the Afghan forces. In fact, one general wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about it. He said he felt abandoned.
2: And, Lucas, real quick, it turns out they called us before taking the Kabul, and they said, who's going to secure this city? And we said we only need the airport. That's the Washington Post road. Have you heard that?
9: I sure. I mean, of course, I was uh, speaking to officials about that same anecdote, Brian. Here's what I've learned: 20 seconds. It wasn't quite that simple. The when uh, General McKenzie, the head of U.S. forces in the Middle East and Afghanistan, the CENTCOM commander, when he met with the Taliban, uh, okay, he was under orders to tell them the U.S. only is concerned with evacuating, and right. remember, they
2: only had about. And 18, Lucas will un- will pick that up soon. Thanks so much.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Just
8: uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after uh, August 31st. Uh, and he- but, but,
11: Secretary there- Blinken, they do not trust... Oh. I, I mean, I know you say you don't trust the Taliban, but now you're telling me we should trust what the Taliban I'm said, not, those no, I'm people not, I'm in not, hiding... I'm
8: not saying that, Martha. I'm not saying we should trust the Taliban on, uh, on anything. I'm simply reporting what one of their senior leaders said uh, to the Afghan people. He specifically cited as well uh, those who worked for Americans and uh, any other Afghan for whatever reason. We have very significant leverage uh, to... Um, work uh, with over the uh, weeks and months ahead to incentivize the Taliban to make good uh, on its commitments.
2: So that was an offensive interview. He did him on three channels on the Sunday shows. And thank goodness, I don't agree with Ben Sasse. uh, A lot of the times I think he's way too aggressive against Trump. He's a conservative, but uh, he needed Trump's endorsement and then he turned on him rapidly. I thought it was totally unnecessary. But listen to, he was listening to this interview and here's what he said.
7: That interview was disgusting and the American people have a
3: right to be livid about it. There is clearly no, no plan. <clears throat> there has been no plan. Their plan has basically been happy talk. People have died and people are going to die because President Biden decided to rely on happy talk instead of reality. And so they decided to outsource Security around the perimeter of the airport to the Taliban. They passed a list of American citizens and America's closest allies, people who fought alongside us. They passed those lists to the Taliban, relying on them, thinking they could trust on them. It was stupid then. It's insane now. And their plan still seems to be: let's rely on the Taliban because the Taliban cares a lot about what world opinion thinks of them at French restaurants. It was it was a disgusting uh, revelation of yet again no plan.
2: Senator Ben Sass, before that, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, when Kabul fell, he was in the Hamptons. Joining us now, Lara Logan, uh, probably knows Afghanistan as well as any American. And for her years of 60 Minutes and now with us, did a series of specials on her series. Um, Lara Logan has no agenda, which is uh, on Fox Nation, and just sat down with Tucker for an hour and a half, and Tucker's still not over it. Lara, what do you think about that exchange?
12: I think it's absolutely despicable. Um, Secretary Blinken isn't just repeating what a Taliban leader says. When the Secretary of State of the United States of America says, a senior Taliban leader has informed the whole of Afghanistan that everybody's going to be okay. Okay, first of all, he knows that he's lying, 100% lying. Secondly, I mean, Brian, I'm on day 13 or 14 where I haven't slept. While I was waiting to come on, I got a desperate, desperate call from a, a, you know, soft person saying, we've got a family that work very closely with the agency, as in the CIA. They're desperate. They need to move them to a safe house. They're being, you know, they're being targeted. They've got nowhere else to go. Can you help us? Can you help us? And I've spent all night trying to get Uh, for high-value target families who all worked closely with the U.S. uh, military, and uh, to, into safe houses, that is before I even touch all the other people that I worked with at 60 Minutes, you know, the families of my producer and interpreter and uh, driver. And, you know, I mean, the, the scale of the uh, lies is one thing. It's just staggering because there's thousands of us who know the truth. We're all, there's guys on the ground, there's guys hidden into Kabul, there's guys, there's people all over the U.S. What all we've done is work on this. And for Secretary Blinken to say that, the Taliban is basically, they've got Chinese hackers and ISI agents inside the, the Ministry of Interior, and they are, literally, um, they are literally creating a database, and they're using it with the biometric records of every Afghan. They're cross-referencing that with the lists that the U.S. is giving them, and, um, and they, are, they know exactly which checkpoints to go to because what people need to understand is there is nothing— the united states is doing on the ground in afghanistan that they haven't worked out and planned ahead of time with the taliban what do you They're mean doing this together. what do you mean by that moving... Laura? i mean that when zulmal kalaszai for example was negotiating the timeline of withdrawal he requested from the taliban and this is according to many sources that were familiar with the talks afghan sources people that were there on the ground and american sources they said kalaszai had asked for uh, the Taliban to agree, to give a a guarantee that they would protect U.S. forces um, and U.S. bases and U.S. convoys moving and that they wouldn't attack them. Well, what do you think that means? How will the Taliban do that? Well, they have to know your movements. They have to know where you're going. We have literally, I mean, literally in real time, we have tracked foreign fighters, from al-Qaeda and the Taliban and the Aqqani Network because they're all the same. We should just stop giving them different names because we're playing into the administration's hands and we're playing into al-Qaeda's hands by giving them different names. These guys um, are all members of these groups at one time or another, and they all share the same ideology, and they all seek the destruction of the United States. And so they are, for our purposes, they are the same. And what they're doing is they've been infiltrating foreign fighters. We've been tracking them, infiltrating foreign fighters. I spoke last night to someone who actually wrote up those reports and passed them up the chain to his, uh, you know, to his, through the chain of command and sent them to congressional offices and sent them to the Intel Committee and sent them to people in DC. And he said every time that they would send it, you know, you get hit by this layer of bureaucracy, and you can't get it to go any further. And that is what has been happening. We've known in real time that al-Qaeda is in Afghanistan, is increasing its presence in Afghanistan. Do you know that the head of Osama bin Laden's Black Guard, which are like the ultra-fanatical bodyguard corps that he had around him, they were with him in Sudan before he moved to Afghanistan and they were with him all throughout. Well, one of those senior leaders has just moved. In fact, the former head of it, um, Dr. Uh, Hadim, I believe his name is, but I'm so tired. Forgive me if I misspeak. But he's moved back into Afghanistan. His his return has been celebrated. This is a guy who's been hiding in Pakistan. He's one of the most hardcore, sought-after al-Qaeda leaders. And these people are laughing um, at us because we're being played by our own government. You know, they, we, they've known the movement of forces. We, we literally helped them plan their invasion by telling them when we were going to abandon our allies. We gave guarantees that we wouldn't hit their forces. We allowed them to maneuver in on their enemy. And we did all of that. We set the Afghans that fought beside us. We set them up. And then to make it worse, in the last few days, there's been almost no planes leaving Kabul Airport with people on them.
2: I've heard that that from multiple people.
12: Brian, I can tell you from, I mean, this idea that there's 250 Afghans. Do you know that there's an Afghan, there's an American woman, an American citizen with three American citizen children who has been three days in a row, like all of our families and the people that we're trying to help, has been to these checkpoints. She's paid through these checkpoints to the airport. She's paid thousands of dollars to get through every time. She's got nothing left, and she's been beaten. She's been wounded along the way. She's exhausted. And when she gets there, she was actually in the hands of the Marines the last time, in the hands of the Marines, and they had to give her back. The flight was closed, and they were ordered by the chain of command, to give her back. They literally opened the gates and shoved her out back into the hands of the Taliban. What's her name? And
2: Do you, do you know I, or are you afraid to give it?
12: I Well, I do know her name. I, I can't give her a name at this point uh, just because there's a lot of moving parts. And, you know, we're going into a moment when Kabul is going to go dark. That's what's going to happen. You know, they, they, they're going to get away with saying there are only 250 Americans. you know how? Because we're not going to know what happens to all of them. We don't even know now how many there are. But the stories in all the groups, I mean, I'm on these group chats, these sort of operations rooms where people are trying to help each other. And one after another after another. I've got a family of this. I've got a busload. Do you know that we have one of the most high-value targets that you could ever have? who worked for the—you for, know, they basically worked in biometrics, which is—I uh, mean, they have the keys to the kingdom when it comes to our tactics and techniques and procedures. You know, people really don't understand. These, these weapons that you see, you know, the attack planes and the little birds and the tanks and the humvees, that's only a fraction of the capability that we are surrendering to the enemy. And it's—while all of this is going on, Brian, there's a much, much— more damaging and deadly thing event that's taking place which is the united states government is preparing to recognize the islamic terrorists of al-qaeda and the taliban and the khani's network and so on as legitimate rulers of afghanistan if they They do that that i mean
2: he'll get he'll get impeached if he does that
12: oh so what they don't care if he gets impeached They, they got a guy elected who had dementia when he ran him for goodness sake, everybody can see that Biden has dementia. Come on. I mean, I mean, so what if Biden falls on his sword? He's not really running this anyway. Look who's around him. You know, Susan Rice and, uh, and Jake Sullivan and all of these people, they were there when Obama was there. And you know that was the first administration that was moving to recognize an Islamic emirate as a legitimate government was the Obama administration in Libya. And this is actually documented by one of the senior al-Qaeda leaders there. He's writing to the moderate Islamist groups that are in negotiations with the EU and and others. And he's saying to them, he's urging them, this is just before the election in, in 2016, he's saying, brothers, we only have a few months left. We have the full backing and support of the Obama administration. They're going to recognize the Emirates. So you need to make a a deal, because when when the government changes, we don't know if we're going to—we'll never get another uh, government in America that's as supportive. I mean, you don't think—I don't understand it, Brian. You don't understand it. You know, all night, I've I've got Delta guys telling me I don't understand it. We're helping the Taliban. We are literally directing our people, the most vulnerable, the most high risk. We're telling them the State Department, USAID, they're they're communicating these notices that say this gate is going to open at the airport. And we're all telling our people to go there. And then you know what? Literally the playbook is this. You tell everybody to go there. Most of them get stopped at checkpoints along the way, or, or, and some of them make it through. They get to the gates, then it's another gate, then it's another gate. You, you literally are watching the clock to see when the threat is set. You know, security threat is going to be announced
2: it's unbelievable. Um, on
12: the net. Then it comes out, and they close all the gates. You know what? They've never actually opened one gate. When they say they've opened the gates, they haven't opened one gate. They have barely let in. If they have let more than 50 people in a day, I would be shocked.
2: I want you to do what Nikki Haley said about our allies. They can't. There is there is a gas, Lara, as you are. Cut twenty-five.
6: The situation with Afghanistan is is beyond disgusting. I mean, look at where we are now. So first of all, the jihadists have gotten a moral victory. That's for Al Qaeda. That's for ISIS. That's for the Taliban. They've all had a moral victory. But it's not just a moral victory in Afghanistan. It's a moral victory around the world, which is going to allow them to recruit. It's going to allow more lone wolf. Um, situations, it's going to be more dangerous. Secondly, you look at the fact that look at the optics, look at what our allies are saying around the world. I mean, did you ever think that NATO was thinking about doing things without the U.S.? Are you watching now that all of our allies are having conversations without us?
2: They are equally aghast, aren't they?
12: Yes, they are. However, Britain is very much involved in this and playing a double game. And I say that because right now their sort of embassy outside the country is in – they're they're operating from Qatar in Doha, um, which is where the Taliban's political office is. And you watch. They're getting ready to create a liaison office uh, with the Taliban, and that is one of the first steps in diplomatic protocol to recognizing them as a legitimate government. And they have – Britain has the same problem the United States has. You have leaders at the top who are doing things that are not honest, and they don't represent the will of the people. They don't. And they are, they're taking their nations down a path that is going to lead to their destruction. Yeah. Because what Nikki Haley is saying is right. It is going to embolden every terrorist and every enemy of the United States everywhere, but not just them. Pakistan, Iran, and China— are, and Qatar are the four nations that are in, that are hand in hand with the Taliban and al Qaeda nothing happens in Pakistan without the isi uh, making it happen they control everything they control all of the terrorist right. groups that they have allowed to proliferate on their soil and they did this this is their invasion and there's not been one word from the biden administration or from congress calling on pakistan to account and, putting sanctions and britain doesn't pakistan. even
2: talk to them real quick uh, from your perspective i know you've been on the ground in all these places this woman argand is a female anchor at tolo it's an afghan news network And she did the extraordinary thing. She interviewed a senior Taliban representative on the air twice. Broke a lot of news. She was blazing a trail. But then she quickly got so many threats, she left the country. Clarissa Ward has also left the country. What is it like being in these Sharia law-run terrorist groups and around them? What is it like as a woman especially? Terrifying.
12: It's absolutely terrifying. I mean, I was in— Uh, Kabul uh, when the Taliban controlled most of the country the last time. I'm not in Kabul. I was just outside of Kabul. And, you know, I would meet with Taliban leaders. They would come at night, and they would offer to take me into the city because I was living with Afghan soldiers. And, you know, I mean, at that time, they were making their deals because the great, all-powerful United States was coming in to help their enemies. And, you know, they were afraid. And now it would be the exact opposite. You know, and Brian, you know, I want to tell you the United States, you know you know what we have done? While we were busy, you know, helping the Taliban defeat our allies, we actually took steps to subvert and sabotage our allies. Like for example, in the Panchea Valley, when we pulled out, we destroyed our the the enormous ammo dump there. Even though the vice president at the time, Amrila Saleh, who's now the acting president, he specifically requested, he begged the US not to do that. When we left other bases, when they left Bagram, they left everything there so for the Taliban. To just crazy. walk in and take it.
2: Laura, so, I'll have to stop it there. You know what it's like to be up against a break. You're a pro. Thanks so much. And by the way, uh, you also have passports of these people that you're working with. Uh, I just think it's going to be outside organizations like the ones you're working with to do this. Laura Logan, thank you. Watch your series on Fox Nation. Back with your calls in just a moment.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This president's relationship with grief, of course, the grief he's
5: experienced himself, having lost two children, a a wife, uh, in tragic circumstances, the role he's played as Consoler-in-Chief, so often uh, sharing that empathy that he's built over the course of years uh, himself. Uh, This on display yesterday, but in a very different way, Willie. This is Really, the first time he is doing this as a result of decisions he's made as President of the United States. And this is a burden. Uh, White House officials are telling me he's feeling very significantly at this moment. Uh, you can see him yesterday watching every one of those transfer cases from the moment they stepped off the plane to the moment they were put in those vehicles and really bowing his head in prayer each time.
2: And uh, also, he checked his watch. Uh, In the middle, which is uh, maybe it's an instinct. I'm not saying he doesn't feel real grief and real responsibility, but he has not done that publicly. He says, yeah, the buck stops here with me. But remember, I inherited this deal and all the commanders signed off on the strategy. That's not true. And it's not true. In fact, today I got the uh, instead of the summaries, I just got the six page deal that Ambassador Calizade cut that Donald Trump signed off on. Multiple differences between what Trump did and what Biden did, what Trump was going to do had he won, and what Biden did. So, I mean, I feel bad that he feels responsible, but he is responsible. He said, give me the airport, not the city. That's a huge problem. We got a suicide bomber.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We have to buckle up, everyone, because today is a big day. Reuters had a report since punted that said that we have stopped flights, everybody's out. Pentagon said no, that didn't happen. I'll I'll tell you, I don't agree. I don't trust anything I'm hearing from the two retaliatory drone strikes that we witnessed uh, over the last three or four days now all of a sudden we know where isis-k was but we did have not any idea before the suicide bombing and then we watched the return of 13 uh 13 uh, uh military men and one woman after they were killed by the suicide vest and by the way i am not looking past the 20 that are trying to recover ramstein air base some minor some major and we don't know the quality of their life afterwards all because of a failed policy, unthought-out, with no long-term strategy. Before we get to Michael Goodwin, then Governor Mike Huckabee,
3: Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. The end of the day, Maria, we're going to have to go back. It's going to be far worse than September 10th, 2001, because we gave away all our bases, our allies are being hunted down, and now we have a terrorist army Armed to the teeth with American equipment.
2: What happens next now that we are gone? I'll give you my prediction as the Biden administration claimed, they have a mechanism to get our allies and our people out, even though our military's gone. I don't believe it.
13: Number two.
4: Instead of laying this off on the generals, shouldn't the commander in chief take full responsibility given that they had to make a decision on Bagram based on the conditions? That he set for them.
5: Any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul.
2: No value added. Unbelievable. How did Kabul fall to the Taliban? We let them have it. A new story in The Washington Post reveals the Taliban asked if we could secure the city, and we chose only to take the airport, so they took the city. And you wonder why people are left behind and 13 Marines are dead? It is criminal. Number one. I'm not. I'm not supposed to take any questions. But go ahead. On Afghanistan. I'm not going to
4: answer Afghanistan
6: now. Can
2: you say if they're still in? Okay. What do you mean I'm not supposed to? I'm not supposed to. They tell me to do. You're the president. And by the way, answer all questions. The other guy did. Rejected. That's what's happening to any American or ally trying to get to the airport as our troops get out hours before the deadline. They say there's still some left. I am not sure. Minus 300 of our citizens left behind. I will never fault the troops and men and women are given this is impossible task but believe me they got to get out and the Turks are not securing the airport so how do we get out Michael Jackson's smoke machine we're going to just obscure the view so our marines can get out unencumbered and you heard Lucas Tomlinson last hour say that we're going to have to fold up Blackhawks or whatever type of military vehicles and get them out the ones that the Taliban haven't taken because we left them Michael Goodwin's with us. Michael, do you remember a time when America has looked worse?
13: Good morning, Brian. Um, It it is hard to conceive. I mean, when you think about even the the dark days of 9-11 in the aftermath, uh, there was a rising sense of pride and, and unity in America itself and that i think uh we were also proud of the military we we were so inspired by their courage and bravery to go to afghanistan to i mean the the way the war Continued on, and I think we would all agree at this point when went down some dead ends in terms of nation building and things like that. Nonetheless, even though some of that policy was a mistake, still people in Afghanistan benefited. Uh, you see these pictures of women now who are terrified of the Taliban, and all that was because the United States and uh, the NATO allies really did create a different society for women in Afghanistan. And so now that door looks to be closing, a, a new darkness enveloping. And uh, as you suggest, I think Americans are ashamed of this, that we have, we fought so hard and, and lost so much. And and now we're giving it all up. It, it, it's as though it didn't happen. I mean, it's like the, the earth has swallowed those 20 years and it it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, that and for Joe Biden to call this a success in any way, for Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, to suggest we, uh, we, we, the international community will condemn the Taliban—I mean, this is this is an alternative universe. I mean, they're on a different planet from the reality that we can all see with our with our own
2: eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So we know this: an ABC poll, 84% of the American people said we should stay until all the Americans are out. Uh, 71% of those questions said the troops should stay until all Afghans who helped us are out. And uh, another poll said 87% of Republicans and 86% of Democrats and in independents saying U.S. troops should stay until all Americans are evacuated. To a poll-driven party like the Democrats, how does this make sense? I mean, it's one man with a, with, who's stubborn as the day is long, and now he's blaming people. Listen to this. I mean, when it comes to giving up Bagram Air Base, should be an immediate investigation. Nancy Pelosi won't call anybody back to even start it. Listen to what he said when he was asked about Bagram. Cut to.
13: They concluded, the military, that Bagram was not much value added, that it was much wiser to focus on Kabul.
2: And so I followed that
13: recommendation.
2: So don't blame me for leaving a perfectly Uh, perfectly located Bagram air base with two landing strips in the middle of open fields surrounded by this country called China, another one called Pakistan, another one called Iran. There is no semblance of order that says it would be in our best interest to give that up, especially in the middle of the night with uh, terrorist prisoners on that base. You know, Brian, uh, listening to
13: the president defend himself by blaming the military, first of all, it's shameful. Second of all, I I find it deceitful. Uh, I think the order of events was that he's telling them, I want out, I want the smallest number of troops uh, there at the end, I wanted to reduce it to zero. Now, tell me how to do that. Well, when, when they are handed those determinations of his, then it makes sense. Bagram is harder to defend. It's bigger. It's much bigger. Uh, and with, with Kabul, uh, you have the civilian aircraft can come in and out. So it's not that the generals recommended this. That was how they saw the only way to carry out his order. And so to blame them for giving him the plan that he demanded and the parameters of which left them no real alternative. If you had said to the military, uh, I will give you as many troops as you need to hold Bagram, they would have said, great. We'll need X number of troops to hold Bagram. But when he says, "I'm giving you X number of troops," now what are you going to do with it? It wasn't enough to hold Bagram. And, and you know, the,
2: you and, know the way it works, and, Michael. And the airport. They're going to answer. They're going to start. They're going to have to stick up. They're not going to say, "I have a press conference. I'm resigning." And this maybe, but there's a small chance of that. But we're going to get the true story. Lucas Tomlinson from the Pentagon says they vehemently have pushed back on this. They are outraged by this. He just joined us an hour ago to say that. How they're going to get their message out is pretty clear. It's, it's going to come through the pages of the, the newspapers he loves, the New York Times and Washington Post. So he's not going to marginalize and say that some conservative reporter. I want you to hear what Jake Sullivan says, and then I'm going to let you have Adam. He's a national security advisor. When we leave, we lose leverage, but not according to this national security advisor when he spoke to Chris Wallace. Cut 12.
5: THE ANSWER IS EMPHATICALLY YES. WE DO BELIEVE THAT THE UNITED STATES OF AMERICA POSSESSES SUBSTANTIAL LEVERAGE TO ENSURE THAT AMERICAN CITIZENS AND OTHERS GET SAFE PASSAGE OUT OF THAT COUNTRY. AND THAT IF THEY DO NOT, WE CAN BRING TO BEAR ENORMOUS PRESSURE ON THE TALIBAN WITH A SWIFT AND FORCEFUL RESPONSE TO THEIR BLOCKING ANY AMERICAN CITIZEN WHETHER BEFORE AUGUST 31ST OR AFTER AUGUST 31ST. THAT'S NOT ABOUT TRUST. THAT'S ABOUT THE CAPABILITIES WE HAVE TO HOLD THE TALIBAN To the commitments that they have voiced directly and the commitments that they have made publicly and we are working in a united way with dozens of other countries in the international community to ensure that's the case
2: your thoughts
13: baloney if you can't get them to cooperate letting Americans come to the airport when you control the airport with our military and they still block the roads and won't let people in How in the heck are you going to do that when you're not there, when you're doing it from afar? I mean, this – you know – Brian, throughout all of these statements from Blinken, Sullivan, and and Biden, you hear the word constantly: diplomacy, international community, our partners. Uh, This is all smoke. There is no international community worth a bucket of warm spit without the United States leadership, and the United States leadership ultimately is a matter of United States military. Without the military, I mean, it's sort of like stop and the Pope, how many troops does he have uh, that that's what the the Taliban understands they don't understand a strong letter from the United Nations or some condemnation from a group of faceless bureaucrats in Brussels. I mean this is all gibberish. this means nothing in the real world, and I think what it points to is the the Bad choices Biden made with his staff. I mean, Blinken and Sullivan, I think, uh, have disgraced themselves uh, with their conduct here. And, of course, but Biden or somebody around Biden picked them. So these are the people he has chosen. And you can see this this thing is like a giant X-ray machine. We can see everything about them. And they are just coming up way short.
2: Here's what Anthony Blinken said, and I don't know if I could play the whole thing without um, stopping it because it's so sickening. Cut seven.
8: Just uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after uh, August 31st. Uh, and he,
11: but, but Secretary there, Blinken, they do not trust. Oh, uh, I, I mean, I know you say you don't trust the Taliban, but now you're telling me we should trust what the Taliban said. No, I'm
8: not saying that, Martha. I'm not saying we should trust the Taliban on, uh, on anything. I'm simply reporting what one of their senior leaders said.
2: So he's a journalist now, and he's taking the <laughs> Taliban as the AP?
13: Right. Yeah, we, we have an exact quote from the Taliban. We can, we can you know, uh, put our, put is our rifles nuts? down. nuts? Yeah. Well, and again, why why would we trust them after we go when we don't? When he says we don't trust them now, why would we trust them after we go? I mean, it just makes no sense in the real world. And yet, this is what they're out there spinning. I mean, it's it really is deceitful. I mean, it's not it's not even an honest mistake. It's a dishonest effort. To, to fool the American people into thinking that uh, it is no big deal that we are leaving behind so many people, Americans and Afghans, who helped us. I mean, it is an enormous deal. We are setting them up for a slaughter, and they have to know it.
2: So uh, I just want to bring into this one story, Daryl ISIS is trying to get these American citizens Uh, to Kabul Airport because they're from Southern California, where his district is, and they're contacting him. He's got a military background, was on armed services, too. So he's getting him to the airport, and he says the situation deteriorates to where the entry points or our people passed through only days before are now impeded by the Taliban. If the administration allows our people to be blocked when they are this close to freedom, that is on the president's shoulders and no one else's. The congressman detailed the case says he and his staff are handling now include more than two dozen community members, including some of the El Cajon School District region kids and students Individual, As they learned recently as one day ago, their requests for the congressman's help continue to arrive every hour. But when they got him to the gate They were not allowed to pass. Same thing with the hundreds of students and their relatives and staff at American University in Afghanistan. They were told to go to a safe house. After seven hours, they hopped on a bus. They got to the gates and were told it's closed. And then they said, I regret to inform you that the airport is closed, but they said the good news is we gave your names and passport numbers to the Taliban. When it opens up, they'll be able to fly you out. Do you believe this?
13: It, it, it is inconceivable that anybody would believe this, Brian. And it is heartbreaking that, that the government of the United States has sunk so low as to put uh, the fate of our citizens' hands in a terrorist organization. It is a terrorist organization. We have dubbed it that for, for 20 years but now, suddenly, it's okay to trust them because they said so? I mean, certainly the people in Afghanistan don't trust them. They know the Taliban. You hear these, you hear these uh, reports now. I, I referenced in my column uh, the report from these two young men from uh, Zenger News, who interviewed one of the Haqqanis, and he confirms that they are using this biometric data left behind by the United States and scanners so that they can scan the, the retinas of everybody uh, on that list. And there are some 25 million Afghans supposedly on this list with this data. They can identify with 100 percent certainty, the Taliban can now, uh, who the Afghans are. And they have the records of who worked with and for the United States. We are setting it's It's a kill list. And we left it behind. And then we gave them, you know, as you say, the numbers, the social security numbers, the passport numbers of other. I mean, it yeah. isn't. Insane yeah, Michael, it's to think not even, it, it, this is going to end. It's well.
2: unbelievable. It's like China is in charge of our evacuation. Our greatest or Iran, our greatest enemies. We couldn't have screwed this up worse if we tried. Maybe we did try to screw this up. I'm open to all theories at this point. It's so mind boggling. Uh, Michael, thanks so much. Appreciate it. My
13: pleasure, Brian. Thank yeah, you.
2: I wish we had something more to talk about. That would have been more intriguing. I could show you the flip side and play devil's advocate, but I can't. It is just evil. Back in a moment.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What you believe in can only
3: be defined by what you're willing to risk. So if I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say some of the things that I want to say, I think it gives me some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, accountability from my senior leaders. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability.
2: Uh, That's the lieutenant colonel, Marine lieutenant colonel, who has simply since then, has since resigned, gave up 17 years. He was three years away from a pension. It would have been $2 million. Real quick, Susan, listening in Colorado, you say you're ashamed of the president. Why?
11: Yes,
12: because we have a buffoon and and buffoon people. They're all Obama people. Susan Rice, Benghazi liar on, on everything. Oh, it was a video. You know, they lie about everything. And like I told the guy before, I have two dogs that are smarter than the people in the Biden administration. At least they know what to do when you tell them. And. And Joe Biden has disregarded everything because he wanted to have a photo op.
2: And now, but, you know, I think, Susan, I think that there's going to be hell to pay because the intelligence agencies don't like being thrown under the bus. Ask, tell that to Donald Trump. And they also look at the Pentagon, the Pentagon saying, really? So that's what we recommended. Why don't you tell the truth? And that story's going to come out. Uh, I, I listen. I don't like when we talk to the president that way, but this is a new low.
1: That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Watching the shit go down in Afghanistan, I was reminded lately of every conversation I've ever had with an immigrant. Almost all of which, if we got to really talking, included the notion: "Oh, you people have no idea. All you do is bitch about and badmouth your own country. But if you knew about the country I came from, you'd stop shitting on your own."
2: And I, I encourage everybody. Go look at Bill Maher's monologue. I don't watch his show. You know, for the most part, it's just, you know, for his, to his credit, he'll have an Ann Coulter or have a Republican on. He'll let them talk. But you know where his agenda is. So, I'm, so, you know, that's a show I don't have to watch. It's on HBO. Who knows when it's on. His monologues have been so penetrating and so appropriate because it's who he is. He's a left-wing liberal who can't recognize left-wing liberals. He said, you know what, uh, on Gutfeld— he came out and said, "Gutfeld's now number one. This guy, Greg Gutfeld, is now number one in late night." So he says, "I watched him, and he's funny." And the people always asked him, "Why don't conservatives have their own go-to guy? Why is it all the liberals are the ones with the, uh, the big-time comedians and talk show hosts?" He goes, "Because liberals aren't really great fodder. You know, Nancy Pelosi—you might not like her, but she's not great comedy." That's it, in Bill Maher's opinion. He says, "But now we have provided great comedy." The great comedy is, we want to take Lincoln's name off schools. We're taking down statues of Teddy Roosevelt. I'm saying to myself, he sounds like us. He sounds like a normal American with different views on policies, not what we're seeing now, people who hate America and despise the country and want to get into education at every level and change our history. Mike Huckabee is a guy that might be astounded if you listen to some of Bill Maher's monologues. Because, Governor, I think you probably agree with 80 percent of it. Welcome back.
10: Well, thank you, Brian. I've been on Bill's show many times, and I've always found him that he treated me respectfully and kindly. I mean, he would jab at me and have some fun at my expense, but I expected that. Here's what I always have respected about Bill Maher. He is who he is. There's no pretense about him. He doesn't take a poll to find out what he needs to believe this week. His convictions, they're not mine, but they really are his, and he sticks by them, and that's refreshing. Actually, Brian, Bill Maher is a classic liberal, the likes of which we see in a guy like Alan Dershowitz, how the ACLU used to be, who defended free speech, who defended defended free expression, who did have a different political bent, but who loved America, just loved it maybe a little differently than some of us, yeah. but loved it less and appreciated what freedom meant to them
2: he's like people are hanging off a cargo jet in an effort to get here does that tell you anything he goes and and i've always said this for those people who don't like america i say travel and if you find another place that's better stay but you won't if you're honest you won't you'll have new appreciation and come back and see what about see in this country you want to get better go do it But you don't start by ripping it and saying how it adequately are for you and your family.
10: You know, Brian, I've been to probably 60, 70 countries around the planet, maybe more. I don't know. I've traveled a lot. And one of the things I've always said is I've seen some beautiful things, architecture, natural beauty, wonderful cultures, great cuisine, uh, astounding museums. But I've yet to be at a place where I said, I'll tell you, this is such a wonderful place I'll trade my American citizenship for it. Never, ever, ever. And it's interesting that if we end up ever being able to build a wall, it's to somehow keep people out we don't want in. It's not to keep people in that we don't want to let out. We're the only country in the history of mankind who has welcomed people of every language, culture, ideology, faith, and said – you're welcome to come to America. But it's a melting pot where we melt from uh, all of the things that separate us to the things that unite us. Out of many, we become one. That's who we are. Bill Maher understands that. And I think a lot of liberals understand it, but they've been quiet because they don't want to be called a racist or uh, some kind of xenophobe. The truth is, it's time for uh, all Americans from the what I would call the center left and from the right to stand up and in unison tell these people from the far left wacky world, we're sick of this stuff you guys have put on us. You're not representing the best of America. And we kind of like to get back where we can live with freedom and diversity, but real diversity.
2: So, what do we do now, Governor? In your lifetime, you know, we hear by these rumors of Americans left behind in Vietnam. There was POWs. There wasn't. There was big debate on these secret prisons. Now we're saying flat out, we got it from uh, we got it from Jake Sullivan as well as Secretary of State Blinken. Between 250 and 350 Americans left behind, and we're leaving. We are leaving not military men caught war fighting in a war. We're talking about people over there doing humanitarian things or who are married to an Afghan. And they said you could come out, but your family can't. Can you wrap your head around this? I'm telling you right now, you would not defend Donald Trump if he did this.
10: No, I I wouldn't. Uh, you know, and Joe Biden, he, all he's interested in is getting out on the Taliban's clock. I guess that's why he was looking at his watch yesterday at Dover when the bodies were being transferred. He wanted to make sure that, you know, he wasn't going to miss anything. Uh, the, the tragedy here is that the only people who seem to care about those Americans who are, and let me use the word, that Jen Psaki took such umbrage to when Peter Ducey mentioned it to her, the word he stranded. 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 These people are stranded. But here's what gives me great sense of hope and optimism about America. We've got veterans, former special forces people who on their own are going over into Afghanistan, risking their lives with not a dime of government paycheck money. They're going over there and they're going to try to get these people out. I don't know if they're going to be able to succeed, but I'll tell you what, it's a shame when our own government – Leaves behind about a hundred billion dollars worth of high grade weaponry, and then we've got to go and beg, borrow, and steal to get some volunteers to go in and try to get our people out from the clutches of some of the most dangerous extremist terrorists that have ever existed in human history.
2: Yeah, I know it's it's uh fascinating. Anthony Blinken, too, says that don't worry, we're not leaving them behind. Listen to what he says. Uh, I mean, in Try to listen to what he says. It's not easy. Cut 10.
8: Nothing has been promised to the Taliban. Uh, to the contrary, uh, we have made very clear, and not just us, country upon country around the world, have made clear that there are very significant expectations of the Taliban going forward if uh, they're going do, to do, uh, have any kind of relationship with the rest of the
2: world. Do you believe, do, I mean, Do you believe this guy? Does he think we haven't been watching this for 20 years? He thinks they want a relationship with the rest of the world and that we're going to hold them accountable? Are you crazy? They just dragged the interior minister, the Afghan interior minister, through the streets and then shot him dead. Do you think they're worried about the rest of the world perception?
10: They've never been worried about the perception. They're proud of what they ought to be ashamed of. That's what Westerners don't understand about uh, the Taliban and all of these folks on the uh, extreme ends of uh, the Islamic faith who really do want to take all of culture back to the 7th century. These are not people who want to modernize. They want the opposite. They want women to be subjugated to be property, no less than a herd of cattle. Uh, They want children not to be educated unless they're educated or indoctrinated into their uh, crazy policies. Uh, When I was in Afghanistan and I visited there back in 2005, I honestly thought I was in the land of the Flintstones because this was before some of the advances and the improvements had happened. There was no infrastructure. Women were still uh, scared to come out. Uh, even the, the American personnel were living in very tightly controlled compounds. Uh, say what you want, but our presence there had really opened up opportunities and a sense of freedom. And a lot of those younger people, the only... Afghanistan, they knew was one in which there was an emerging sense of freedom. Now all that's gone, and what they're going to see is bloodshed in their streets. And if you disagree with them, uh, they don't just keep you from getting a job like they do in America. They take you in the street and they shoot you in front of your neighbors to say, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't go along with us.
2: And you're talking about, when you're talking about those groups that are helping on the outside, Scott Mann, who's running this Pineapple Express group, who is in a third country, he's a uh, long-term a long-term special operator with others. He says even reporters are helping him out and military veterans, they put together their own group and their own money, put their careers on hold and started getting people out. He said, we were getting calls yesterday from the most higher-up people in the State Department to get their people out. He said, I cannot believe I'm getting this call. He goes, I can't reveal the name. But I imagine it's almost like a deputy secretary of state or an undersecretary somewhere. They can't do it. So Americans are rallying to the cause. But i got to ask you about something else. Do you think, in retrospect, Donald Trump was wrong even to engage with the Taliban uh, three years ago?
10: You know, I've heard Mike Pompeo discuss the manner in which they engaged. And it was very different in that they uh, didn't negotiate. They basically told him, we're willing to leave, but here's what you have to do. And if you fail to live up to the agreement, uh, then we're going to destroy you. Now, can you ever trust that the Taliban will live up to any agreement? I think the answer is no. So maybe we were a little naive in thinking that Afghanistan was just going to become a peaceful, wonderful democracy and the Taliban would uh, simply go off into the mountains of Pakistan and the remote reaches of Afghanistan and leave all the other people alone. That probably was never going to happen. But the real problem is not just that we got out, but that we got out by taking our military first leaving our civilians, having no realistic plan, and then letting the Taliban, these murderous terrorists, let them set the terms of when we would get out, how we would get out, and being so stupid as to leave an arsenal behind of high-developed weapons that now are going to be used to kill Americans, and the blood is going to be on the hands of these guys and the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of State and, yes, the President of the United States, for not scuttling that equipment if they couldn't bring it home.
2: So some of the play-by-play on what happened is so infuriating. Friday afternoon before Kabul fell, the White House was starting to empty out. Many senior staffers were taking their first vacation. The Secretary of State was in the Hamptons. Saturday, the fall of mazar sharif Evidently, that was supposed to be a cornerstone of when the Afghans were very uh, well-armed and they had all the success there. Well, the anti-Taliban forces melted. So with mazar sharif gone, that should have been a go sign that the Kabul was in trouble, but no one picked up on it. In a conference call with the president and his top security aides that day, Lloyd Austin called for an immediate relocation of all embassy personnel to the Kabul airport. He was worried about it. It got invaded. But he said, I brought forces in to protect the embassy. Then he emptied the embassy and put them totally vulnerable with stack tables At an airport. Then throughout the day, Biden remained resolute in his decision to withdraw all troops, despite the fact that Kabul was being zeroed in on. Now, Mohammed Baradour, the guy that we got out of prison, that actually Trump did, said he stood outside Kabul. He contacted the Americans and said the ministries are coming apart. Either you secure Kabul or we will. Mackenzie, aware of the orders from Biden, told Barador the U.S. mission was only to evacuate American citizens, Afghan allies and others. The United States needed the airport, nothing else. Governor Huckabee, how many mistakes can you make in the shortest period of time? I think that's a new record.
10: Uh, th- this whole operation, I think, is going to be studied in the War College at West Point in decades to come. Uh, There will be many, many books written about how there was a complete collapse of common sense uh, as well as military strategy when it came to our exit from Afghanistan. And the worst of it is we've lost American lives. You know, I'm I'm upset that we walked away from an $800 million embassy that we built, that we've left all the records and the Taliban are in control. I'm sick about $100 billion worth of military hardware But the saddest of all is there are going to be 13 funerals this week for young people who had their whole lives in front of them and shouldn't have and wouldn't have died had they had people upstream from them who had the capacity or the will to make good decisions.
11: I'm embarrassed about that.
2: I am and saddened, obviously. Here is a little bit more from – I want to end how we started. Listen.
11: Have a little perspective about the stuff we howl about here. I'm sorry your professor said something you didn't like. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to school. In Saudi Arabia, grown women can be jailed for doing the kind of things we think of as routine without the permission of a male guardian. China rounds you up if you're the wrong religion and puts you in camps. More children in Burkina Faso work than are in school. Only 5% of Burundians have electricity. The homicide rate in Honduras is eight times what it is here. The inflation rate in Venezuela is 2,719%. The Philippines, in the last five years, has put to death 27,000 low-level drug dealers. My old job. In North Korea, people starve to death. The only people who starve here are doing it for a roll. And the only people who have no
2: water live in California. You know what he means? Just final thought on that, Governor, real quick.
10: It's it's sad when we have to turn to a left-wing comedian to get the truth. But herein, Bill Maher has said in that very monologue more about why we ought to love America than most any conservative speaker I've heard in the last 10 years. And I salute him for it. I'm glad it came from the left. I'm glad that someone on the other side of the aisle can appreciate that America is an exceptional, wonderful, amazing country, and that we ought to every day with tears in our eyes get on our knees not to protest the flag but to thank God it's standing there. I'm just grateful that somebody Mm -hmm. said it, and it had to be him. Thank God for him, and I know he doesn't believe in God. But I'll thank God for him anyway.
2: Well, I'll just say this. If it's going to stop, it has to start at the left. It's sad, but I think it's true because people expect the right to push back, but they don't expect that. And it's finally, some sanity. Thanks so much, Governor. Great piece. Great great segment. I Always- appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brian.
2: Go get him. Back in a moment.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Killmeat Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: John, General Taylor, you just said that
8: one rocket landed with no effect to the mission. You mean it landed inside the airport
9: perimeter, but it did not affect the mission. It landed inside the perimeter and and had no effect whatsoever.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. So no big deal. Just rocketing our base on the way out. No big deal. Exactly like that happens with the Soviets. Good job. Uh, Admiral Kirby's got to speak for our administration with no strategy. And the strategy is, there is a failed strategy. But here's the problem. To get our people out, now that our, our people are just about out, our soldiers are just about out, our Marines are just about out, we're going to have to pay a price. Here's what Lindsey Graham fears and worries about. Cut 18.
9: The parade of horribles are about to unfold. We're leaving thousands of Afghan allies behind who fought bravely with us. We're going to leave hundreds of American citizens behind. Uh, The chance of another 9-11 just went through the roof. These drone attacks will not degrade ISIS. The number of ISIS fighters have doubled. We've turned our back on our allies, who's going to help us in in the future. And we set the conditions for another 9-11. I've never been more worried about an attack on our homeland than I am right now. And we did not end this war. President Biden said that he wanted to take this Afghanistan off the plate for future presidents. He's done the exact opposite. For the next 20 years, American presidents would be dealing with this uh, catastrophe in Afghanistan. This war has not ended. We've entered into a new deadly chapter. Terrorists are now in charge of Afghanistan.
2: And his big worry is they're going to pay a price. Actual money, billions of dollars, so-called released, like we did with Iran. It's their money. We just unfroze it. Or we're going to lead towards recognition of the Taliban as a legitimate government. They'll be in New York City in their moccasins, uh, or maybe a seat in the Security Council or Human Rights Panel. That's my worry. Go to BrianKillme.com. Get some tickets to my live events for the President Freedom Fighter, a book I have out that's coming out in uh, November. Uh, Catch it on stage.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're watching a Pentagon press conference. That's why I was a few seconds late just trying to take in their latest spin, how we're leaving. And leaving uh, hundreds behind. Hundreds behind as we get set to uh, deal with rockets uh, at the uh, Kabul airport. Okay. Uh, we had a suicide bomber on Thursday. We had, they said that we had one thwarted the other day. Headline in the New York Times said uh, children were killed in our strike that took place on Sunday. We had another one the other day and we're supposed to believe those are the ISIS-K people. Who we, do we know about that all along? If not, what are we waiting for? An attack? Who knows? Uh, Dan Crenshaw in a matter of moments and Brett Baird, at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now
1: with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
3: Number three. The end of the day, Maria, we're going to have to go back. It's going to be far worse than September 10th, 2001, because we gave away all our bases. Our allies are being hunted down. And now we have a terrorist army. Armed to the teeth with American equipment.
2: What happens next, now that we're gone? I'll give you my prediction and get what the Biden people are trying to spin to us. We'll push back. Number two.
4: Instead of laying this off on the generals, shouldn't the commander in chief take full responsibility given that they had to make a decision on Bagram based on the conditions? that he set for
5: them. Any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul.
2: How did Kabul fall to the Taliban when we let, we let them have it is the story. The Washington Post chronicles the whole thing. Uh, the general was asked by, believe it, the guy we let out, Barador, from prison to lead the Taliban. Do, what do you want? Kabul is falling apart. Do you want us to provide security, or do you want to? Essentially, General McKiernan said, you take it, we only want the airport. Hence, chaos, death, and destruction. Number one. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead.
6: On Afghanistan?
2: I'm not okay. gonna answer Afghanistan now.
6: Can you say if they're still in Afghanistan?
2: Okay. Rejected. That's what's happening to any American or ally trying to get to the airport. As our troops get out hours before the deadline, minus 300 of our citizens, and minus hundreds more of our allies. Is that okay with Dan Crenshaw, congressman from Texas, uh, former uh, Navy SEAL? Congressman, we're leaving. Can you believe we're at this point?
14: Uh, it, it is a little hard to believe. It's, it's um, not how we wanted to commemorate the, the 20th anniversary. You know, There really, really shouldn't be a lot of difference between the 20th anniversary and the 19th and the 18th, or the 21st or the 22nd. But this one is different because, you know, you're playing a clip of my friend uh, Mike Waltz, and I fully agree with him. This is – we're in a worse position now than we were on September 10th, 2001. You know, it's always worth reminding people we weren't at war then, but somebody was at war with us. And guess what? They're still at war with us. Joe Biden did not end any war. That was always the myth. That was always the, the false promise from politicians. We're going to end the wars. Well, you, you don't – you know, the enemy has a say in that. And uh, they've they've made that pretty clear as of late. Um, it, it's frustrating for a lot of us who serve there. Now, now, don't get me wrong; our service was not in vain. You know, we got something out of that 20 years, and we what we got was no more 9 11s and that's not nothing. That's something. Um, but uh, I'm I'm not sure who's going to be there to protect America from these kind of attacks in the future when Al Qaeda reforms and finally gets some breathing room, which they're very happy to have now and uh, can start to externalize their operations again.
2: Yeah, what about the chronicle of things that happen? You as a guy in the field who knows the landscape. If I told you Masary, Masary Sharif fell without a fight, would you have immediately said, "Look out, Kabul?
14: Of course. I mean, of course. That's what so, you know, that it's worth getting into this and the the decisions that led up to this. Ultimately, there's just one decision that led up to this and that's Joe Biden's hard-headed decision to say zero troops because it makes them feel good. There's really no tactical or strategic reason for that. It just makes them feel good, makes them feel like he committed to a political promise. But it was pretty obvious that the Taliban had no intention of living up to their side of the negotiation. So if people are trying to say, well, Trump's the one who created this deal, maybe, but Trump, but Trump also uh, paid attention to red lines. Uh, there he, trump had agreed to a conditions-based withdrawal and those conditions had just not been met once biden took office when you see the taliban going on offense there should have been a tactical pause and we should have said wait a second this could this could become a disaster rather quickly let's pause this and reassess and maybe and maybe try to push the taliban back a little bit also regain some leverage you know because the the, the entire end goal would would have been a, a stabilized sort of a power sharing agreement between government of Afghanistan and the Taliban. That was that was sort of the stalemate that we that we'd um, been able to deal with. Um, and Biden gave all that up.
2: I, I read the six pages. The deal that Ambassador Kalozad, who did a terrible job for two administrations, he cut. And one of the things yeah. was one of the things was that there would be a power sharing thing that they would not go into Kabul. Number two is that they would not entertain any group. A uh, terror group that aimed to attack us—they've teamed with the Akani network, who's now controlling security. That would have been the out that Trump had to stop them. You violated the agreement. Boom, it's done. And the leave Bagram Air Base—I wasn't for the prisoner swap, but to leave the base entirely in the middle of the night with prisoners in there is one of the stupidest things ever. And it's pretty clear that Joe Biden blames the Pentagon. Cut one. I'm not—I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
13: They concluded the military, that Bagram was not much value added, that it was much wiser to focus on Kabul. And so I followed that recommendation.
2: That is so the buck stop, not the buck stops here. I can't put it into words. When does the Pentagon get to answer back?
14: Well, they're the Pentagon, so they they won't really defend themselves. Um, But I'll tell the truth for everybody. Uh, And everybody needs to listen to this very carefully. This this is important, and this gets to how decisions are made and who has to listen to who. So the president lays out a goal, okay? And he's pretty hard-headed about this goal, and that goal is very simple. This is the mission, according to the president. We're going to keep the embassy, and we're going to have enough Marines just to guard the embassy, which is about 600 Marines. And that's it. And I want troops down to zero. Troop presence will be down to zero. So those are two missions that he gave the Pentagon, two orders. Now notice what's lacking there. Joe Biden never said, hey, Pentagon, you also have to plan for evacuations of American citizens. Uh, You also have to plan for evacuations of our allies. They never gave that mission to the Pentagon. So you cannot blame the Pentagon for not taking on that mission because they weren't ordered to do it. And, you know, I, I know for a fact that General Milley, Secretary Austin said, we need to keep thousands more troops here. That's what we need. Joe Biden said no. So when, when, when he says the military said, okay, we're going to leave Bagram and we're not going to – and this is the Washington, gets to the Washington Post story. The military also said – General McKenzie says we're not going to secure Kabul. You guys can have that, you guys being the Taliban. That, that's true, but they're operating off of orders from Biden because Biden says you only get 600 Marines to, to, to defend the embassy. So as a military commander – What am I going to do with 600 Marines? Well, I'm not going to keep Bagram. It's impossible because you need about 2000 people to hold Bagram. It's a large base. Uh, Same with Kabul. You need a few thousand people probably to, to hold Kabul. They don't have those troop numbers, so they can't possibly agree to take on that security, even if that's better for the for the interest of what we want to do. Again, keeping in mind, Biden never said that our that our mission would ever be to evacuate people. Because he was he was lying to himself and the American people with this assumption that you know everybody would be fine you know it, well, hey we sent citizens an email right and 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 they didn't want to come out well that's technically true but you were also saying there's no way that it's going to fall to the Taliban yeah you know, so so things changed rather quickly I mean if if you go down to zero this is going to happen sooner sooner or later it, that that's the reality I think that I, that I'm, I I still think people are in denial about uh, we were almost lucky had it happened so fast because we could at least retake Kabul airport quickly uh, in this case. I mean, if it happened a couple months from now, we'd be long gone and we'd have even more people stranded there. You know, but, but, but everybody, you have to take all of this, all of these problems back to a single decision. When you say zero troops, you're allowing a power vacuum and you're allowing this to happen. There's no way around that. And you can't blame the military for that because they told Biden to do something different. They gave Biden the same advice they gave Trump. All right, and, and 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 Trump agreed to conditions-based withdrawal, agreed to pay attention to red lines. Joe Biden ignored all of that. And that's the truth,
2: and that and that is the truth. And which crazy is they were so. Dead set on going on vacation. The Secretary of State's in the Hamptons. The President dead set on going to Camp David reluctantly comes out to make a speech and goes right back because these guys have been working so hard. Oh, they're the ones who are working hard? I forgot. I knew there was somebody. So they were going on vacation knowing that this could happen. I think the decision leading up to this one thing, the ones they made in real time, I guess you don't fault General McKenzie, but when he tells Barrador Who's the guy we sprung from prison, who's now technically the head of the Taliban, perhaps? I don't know what kind of power structure, but he's up there. He said the U.S. mission was only to evacuate American citizens, Afghan allies, and others. We only want we only needed the airport. So he went in to secure what was left to the ministries. The Akani Network spokesman said there was not one person around, and Gahani left because he thought he was told that the Taliban had already been there. They weren't there yet. So he flies out on one of our choppers and all our stuff's there. Dan Crenshaw, let me ask you this. At one point, when you guys talk about worst case scenarios in the military, did anyone bring up what if the Afghans lose? What happens to our stuff?
14: I I would hope so. Look, I I, I think if there's blame to go around, it's that Maybe the generals didn't stand up enough to Joe Biden. You know, I know for a fact they gave him the right advice and he decided not to take it. And and it's a reasonable criticism. Well, why didn't you resign in protest? That's a reasonable criticism. um, And I'd like to hear an explanation for that, perhaps. But, you know, I think there's a massive lack of contingency planning overall. I I, I think the, the current ambassador to Afghanistan, again, under both administrations, is a complete disaster. The State Department has been a complete disaster on all of this. You know, a neo-evacuation, which means a, a non-combatant, eva- non-combatant evacuation operation, um, that's a really well-planned out and, and executed operation uh, in embassies all around the world. It's something that is practiced. It's something that everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know where you're supposed to go, how you're supposed to round up U.S. citizens in a country if a crisis happens. And... You know, there are certain tripwires also that that would initiate such uh, such procedures. Um, as we understand it, the the embassy under under this uh, ambassador's leadership just failed to notice and, and failed to adhere to those procedures. So they were behind the eight ball the entire time. Um, you know, when when I hear from Anthony Blinken and uh, and Jake Sullivan, uh, they, they tend they tend to repeat the lies of the administration more than most. And um, I think the State Department has a lot to answer for on this.
2: Do you believe, uh, and actually, was heard over the weekend that there's pressure on Blinken and and Jake Sullivan uh, for them to get fired from Democrats. Have you heard it get to that point?
14: I, I haven't, but you know, I'm not a fly on the wall in Democrat conversations. I, I think I, – but I think that's reasonable to expect. I, I, I think Democrats are looking to blame anybody but Biden, right? The Democrats are mad about this, uh, and some genuinely so, um, but, also, but also there's political motive there. We just have to admit that that th- they don't want all of this blame to fall on their elected leaders, right? They would love to be able to throw some other people under the bus in the cabinet and the administration. And, uh, it, look, maybe some of that's well-deserved. I Again, J- Jake Sullivan – is out there repeating the lies about Kabul and uh, how how it's the military that said we don't want Kabul. Again, he leaves out the context. You refuse to give the military enough troops to keep Kabul. So they have to say no. But do you you realize,
2: Dan, do you realize how bad this is for the country? The State Department, the Pentagon and the White House are fighting with each other. Forget about politics for a second. I mean, this is terrible. It's a joke. And our allies are laughing at us and angry at us. So I'm looking at some of these names. Uh, uh, Congresswoman Susan Wild said extend the date. Abigail Spamberger, extend the date of evacuation. Mike Levin, the same thing. Andy Kim, the same thing. Senator uh, Hassan, Mark Kelly, uh, Senator Masto, all the same thing. There's a lot of defections here among Democrats who are trying to distance them in tough races, trying to distance themselves from Joe Biden already. When you go back to work, are things going to be different?
14: Well, I don't know about that. boy, may, maybe I'll have a shred of optimism that there'll be more bipartisanship when we go back to work. but, um, but you are correct. Look, I mean, hey, uh, that, that we had a closed-door meeting with Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, a, a lot of members there, um, and Democrats and Republicans were all asking the same question, and it all had to do with the August 31st deadline. Where does the deadline come from? Do we self-impose it? What the heck's going on with this? Why do we care what the Taliban says? They' are the Taliban. Uh, we're America. Uh, I think everybody was on the same page there, except for, again, the the administration. And the administration, again, they keep passing the buck to their generals, saying, "Look, I just listened to what they say. Yeah, that's a bunch of BS. Generals told you something very different right from the beginning, and we all know it. You know, it like there's going to be a day of reckoning for for everybody involved in this. Um, I, I I think it's worth having a sort of 9/11 commission uh, style, you know, half Republican, half Democrat." um just a, a fact finding mission there. I think our committees in Congress will be uh will be will be doing quite a bit of oversight over everything that's happened. And uh and I think Democrats are honestly they appear to me to be on board with that. Uh you know, I, I haven't seen any indication otherwise. And uh, you know, I, I think some of it is, is has genuine intentions and of course I think some of it is we, we need to we need to have some scapegoats so that Joe Biden isn't blamed too much. But Either way, I'm happy to have the oversight.
2: You're shooting a documentary on 9-11. You took time out for our audience. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, thanks so much.
14: I appreciate it, Brian. Truly appreciate
2: it, uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw. I, if this if this guy, there's a smaller guy in Congress, I don't know who it is. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, a couple of things I'd just like to announce. Uh, the President Freedom Fighter Tour, we're hoping that COVID allows this to happen, but my book comes out in November, first week in November. I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, Sunday, So I'll be able to go on stage, talk about all my books, History and Winning the War on Terror. It's a lot of fun to be on stage, to be able to interact with you guys. Also, a meet and create opportunity, too. And I think you're going to love this book, The President of Freedom Fighter. I do the book on tape next week. Um, and uh, it's getting its final look through through an editor. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and their and their battle to save America's soul. So November 7th, I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia. Then on December, th- I'll be on November 21st, be in Orlando, Florida. Then I'll go home back to Ponte Vedra, Florida, December 3rd, the next day in Clearwater, Florida. You just go to briankilme.com and get tickets. And the best thing I like about it, I get a chance to talk to people. Instead of just being on the line and having 10 seconds at a Barnes & Noble or a Books A Million, I get a chance to go on stage, talk about my books in a conversational fashion bring you inside Fox and everything, as well as answer your questions. So I think it'll be a great time. com. I'll have plenty of time to talk about it. Meanwhile, uh, now we see uh, Congressman, maybe the next speaker, but Congressman Kevin McCarthy calling on – Speaker Pelosi, to call Congress back for an immediate investigation on the series of events that led to us evacuating and leaving at least 300 Americans behind. We're seeing this unfold. We're tracking a storm. But the people that really benefit from us tracking the storm are the ones who have lost power right now. So, uh, uh, Ida. So we're going to wait on that. But this is the number one story in the world. Our reputation is on the line. Our people's it is life and death for the people left behind. And for so many retired officers and Green Beret and special operators, they're still working to get people out. But this time they're going to try to do it through land instead of through the air. We're not going to tell you exactly, but maybe through Pakistan.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Instead of laying
4: this off on the generals, shouldn't the commander in chief take full responsibility? Given, given that they had to make a decision on Bagram based on the conditions. THAT HE SAID FOR THEM.
5: CHRIS, YOU'VE HEARD THE PRESIDENT TAKE ULTIMATE RESPONSIBILITY FOR EVERY DECISION HE'S MADE AS COMMANDER-IN-CHIEF. HE HAS EXPRESSLY SAID THE BUCK STOPS WITH HIM. BUT LET'S BE REAL ABOUT BAGRAM. THERE IS A DIFFERENCE BETWEEN TACTICAL ADVICE FROM THE COMMANDERS ON THE GROUND. WHAT IS THE RIGHT OPERATIONAL METHOD OF EXECUTING A DRAWDOWN? ON THE STRATEGIC DECISION, THAT'S A DECISION ONLY A PRESIDENT CAN MAKE. ON THE TACTICAL DECISION OF WHICH IS THE RIGHT AIRPORT, to have for an evacuation, of course, any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul.
2: Jake Sullivan uh, spinning it and saying it's the Pentagon's choice, so he just went along with it, but that's not the case. Brett Baer used to be a Pentagon reporter, now a chief political anchor for Fox News and Anchor Special Report. You know, you'll see him at 6 o'clock in his Uh, book is actually coming out soon, which is going to be a big hit. Brett, what's your reaction to that spin from state?
6: Well, I just think it's um, context. You need context. Uh, By the time the generals apparently recommended that, the decision was made by the commander in chief to pull the troops out and not put other troops in to further secure the base. So there was there was only one decision and, you know, the context is lost in that telling of the story. Um, I know for a fact that privately uh, people have told me that there was a recommendation that they, they do do Bagram. Uh, But by the time the decision was taken to remove all the troops, um, they only had one option really because they didn't have the, the option. To, the president had already made that decision.
2: Uh, Brett, I want you to hear some more of the exchange because Jake Sullivan and Anthony Bliggett are desperate maybe to hold on to their jobs or it makes make sense of leaving 300 people behind. Cut nine. Our
8: commitment uh, to continue to uh, help uh, people leave Afghanistan who want to leave and who are not out by September 1st, that endures. There's no deadline uh, on, that, uh, on that effort. And we have uh, ways, we have uh, mechanisms uh, to help facilitate the ongoing departure of people from Afghanistan if they choose to leave. What are those ways and mechanisms? Is it more negotiating with the Taliban? Well, look, I'm not going to uh, get into the detail, but let me say this. First, uh, you may have seen that uh, just yesterday a very senior Taliban official went on television and radio across the country and repeatedly assured people in Afghanistan that they would have the freedom to travel after August
2: 31st. He listened to a radio broadcast from the Taliban and is encouraged?
6: Yeah. The, the whole thing is wacko, Brian. It's really amazing if you think about it. Um, the leverage is what they say is the Taliban's want to be an, on the international stage. Um, I, I don't know if we're—I doubt we're dealing with a much different Taliban overall then the Taliban that has deep, deep ties and essentially is in bed with al-Qaeda. The number two guy in the Taliban structure is Siraj Haqqani, who is still wanted for $5 million bounty by the State Department's uh, Rewards for Justice. We know where he is. He's running the show in Kabul. So I, I think that this explanation about once we leave that there's still going to be this path I hope that's right. But boy, hope is kind of a weird thing to go on when you're dealing with 350 plus Americans on the ground.
2: But the thing is, what are we going to have to give up to get it? Come on. I mean, we know if people want diplomatic recognition, you want American Taliban and the Islamic Republic of uh, extremism uh, that are the going to The Human Rights
6: Commission, maybe?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's where they'll end up, along with uh, maybe well, Venezuela. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So. So are we going to do that with recognition? Are we going to do that with unfreezing dollars that really belong to them anyway, like we try to rationalize the giveaway with Iran? It's going to be—it is a hostage situation. I spoke to Senator Lindsey Graham last night. He said they're no longer allowing civilians to leave the airport. The gates are closed. They're just getting our people and our stuff out that's left that hasn't been given away already. And so it's done. So you're going to have to give something to get something. So what's the message going to be if we execute a deal for money? Every, it's going to be a go sign for every, every irrational actor, every terrorist organization. That's what America will give up money for people. More people are going to be yeah, taken, more money is going to be given. Well,
6: not only that, but it, it just projects weakness. I mean, look at what's happening in North Korea with uh, North Korea restarting the reactor at Pyongyang. That doesn't happen unless North Korea thinks this is a time of advantage. And um, there, you could go around the world and see bad actors that look at this and say, this is our time. So hopefully it doesn't all coalesce into some legion of doom here, but it's um, it's not pretty. And, you know, we're talking about the Americans, let alone the Afghans. That New York Times story today about the American university students that go to the gate and they're turned away and then say that they've given the details of all of these people to the Taliban. Yep. Now, that's exactly opposite of this pushback from the Pentagon and state that that hasn't happened. Well, this is firsthand accounts. That's what they were told. Um, You know, I think the firsthand accounts are ones that you have to look at closely because it's much more detailed than any briefing room.
2: And, you know, I just we're at the point now where you have to look. Okay, what's the source? So if this story was put out by the Daily Caller, it might be 100% correct, but all uh, all the Democrats would say, well, okay, the Daily Caller is just running with a story to make the administration look bad. But it was Politico that had this story originally. And then it was vehemently pushed back over the weekend, I think it was uh, by Jake Sullivan. And then we have right. this story in the New York Times talking about the students who were left in a safe house for hours, got on a bus, got to the gate, and got rejected and have to go back, and they said— don't worry, we gave the Taliban your names and passport numbers. And they're thinking, you yeah. just, you, you 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 sign me up for a death warrant. I mean,
6: unless you're trusting the Taliban, you know, and that's just a horrible place to be considering who they've been. The pushback was so intense that then when that story comes out and it's quoted with real names, real people on the record, not like anonymous sources, uh, That's a problem to this administration because they're I mean, they've handled it poorly from the beginning, but they could be handling it poorly on the end, too.
2: Here's what H.R. McMaster said. I know we both have respect for what he's done. He writes extensively on wars. He's also a historian. Cut 33.
11: Over the horizon, counterterrorism is a pipe dream, Paul, and it's a pipe dream for the reasons you've you've mentioned. Right. I, I mean, you can't. Uh, You can't really get visibility of the enemy just from technical means. You need human intelligence networks. Your targets, right, those that you're pursuing within jihadist terrorist organizations, are all attempting to to avoid being classified as such, and so they employ traditional countermeasures of dispersion, concealment, and especially intermingling with civilian populations in urban areas. When terrorists control cities, right, the size of Mazar Sharif or or certainly Kabul, they become much, much more dangerous. And, of course, they inflict much more suffering uh, on, on the population.
2: So they say over the horizon. That's what these drone strikes did. They were over-the-horizon intelligence. And Admiral Kirby and company keep saying, see, I told you it would work. What do you think?
6: Well, it doesn't work unless you have the intelligence to do it. You can fly a drone from UAE and sit over the airspace for two to five hours, but you have to know where that vehicle is or when they're moving or... That those are the guys, otherwise you're going to be firing at a lot of civilians, and that's how they operate in you know the cloak of civilian cover. This was by all accounts, a great strike to take out potential suicide bombers, but may have also killed civilians in the wake, and of course, that's part of you know protecting the the population overall, but uh, you're Ability to get down to that granular level goes away without intel. I think the most damning thing, besides the New York Times story, was a Washington Post story that suggested that the Taliban offered not to come into Kabul, um, with as a part of this deal, and to say we'll stay outside Kabul, you get your people out, and then you know then you move on. And from the reporting of the Post. That was turned down by the administration. And if that's the case, I mean, we handed a lot over to the Taliban, who, again, are tied to al-Qaeda.
2: Yeah, Brad, I've been talking about that all morning, and I actually tweeted that over the weekend. I was stunned by it. They actually contacted General McKenzie, and McKenzie said, We don't want the city. We just need the airport. And then the Taliban would provide the security for the airport. And if it wasn't for the Taliban providing security without us, you could argue there's no suicide bomber. It was an absolute hellacious situation where we had 12 hours to stop a bombing. They knew it was coming. They didn't stop it. 13 young Marines are dead. So it's unbelievable the decisions were made on the fly were almost as bad as the decisions were made, which were supposedly thought out. And the president yeah. – and guess where the secretary of state is? In the Hamptons.
6: Yeah. I, it's it, it's just not a good look for this administration at all. Now, can they bounce back from it? Yes, with, with credibility and with transparency and, um, you know, with aptitude at handling this. But as days go on, that's not happening. And it's more of an excuse kind of mentality which really doesn't sit well with anybody.
2: Well, this is what I believe the Biden administration is counting on, this being a news cycle or two. And they're going to jump all over this, uh, and this hurricane's big, and they should be focusing on it. I get it. But they're going to focus on a hurricane. They're going to focus on 3500000000000 trillion. They're going to still continue sparring with DeSantis, and they're going to try to distract the American public. And we, have, we all have ADD as a country. Do you think they'll be successful getting us to forget this?
6: You know, unfortunately, I think that uh, we as a country operate in chapters. You know, this is the Afghanistan evacuation chapter. And, you know, we have a thing on special report uh, about remember what happened to, you know, what happened to XYZ. Because there are a lot of stories that never get finished because we move on. The chapter is closed and we move on. Hopefully this is one that you remember about foreign policy decisions, that really has impacts beyond Afghanistan uh, for this administration.
2: So two things are going to happen. There's going to be blame. state's going to blame the Pentagon. The Pentagon's going to use unnamed sources to push back on the White House. And we're all going to lose because the country's going to be less safe because of lack of coordination, anger and redemption and revenge and all that stuff. The other thing is blame Trump. Trump is the one who talked to him. Trump wanted to be out earlier. This was the deal that stuck in my lap. And so I just went and looked up, and you've probably done this already, the exact deal and every time there was a violation, Mike Pompeo went out to pains to say to me, we hit them back hard. One of the violations would have stopped. For example, do you really think, does anyone think even Donald Trump's worst enemy, if he got a call from the Taliban that said we could take Kabul or you can keep it, he would say take Kabul? Are you crazy no. on his no baseball
6: way. card? Are and, you-, you know, and he wanted he wanted those troops out more than anybody. Yeah. But how they got out. And that deal— You look at the deal, the six pages. You look at what Zal Talazad, the ambassador, said in the final days of that negotiation. If there's not a negotiation between the Afghans and the Taliban, or if the Taliban acts in bad faith in any way, shape, or form, this is null and void, and the U.S. can stay until we want to stay getting our people out. And uh, it's clear as day. Now, what precipitated it? Once we took out Bagram, once we ended the air cover for the Afghan National Army, uh, they threw down their arms. And um, blaming the Afghans, blaming Trump doesn't get you away from this decision.
2: Absolutely. Another thing they did is said Afghanistan, which is not recognized by the United States, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is not recognized by the United States as a state as known as the Taliban, will not allow any of its members, other individuals or groups, including al-Qaeda, to use the soil of Afghanistan to threaten the security of the United States and its allies, and they go on to list other terror groups. The Haqqani Network uh, is a terror group uh, hell-bent on attacking us, and we don't need to explain to anyone listening right now about al-Qaeda. So both of those are a violation. Game off, deal off, you're done. Yeah. Guess who's parts of the Haqqani Network? Guess who's a part
6: of the group that comprises some of those Haqqani guys? ISIS-K. ISIS-K, ISIS-K is an offshoot of, like, the extreme of extreme of Taliban and Haqqani, and al-Qaeda is directly tied to all of it. It's just one big witch's brew of radical Islamic um, actors, and I think, you know, when you try to parse between them, it's it gets a little confusing. You should just look at it as a major threat on
2: the ground. Right. Period. And he says, K, did they just show that they were attacking Americans? Yes. Game over. Deal done. You're out. So men in moccasins, go back to your caves. Uh, and that's where we're at right now. 300 Americans trapped behind enemy lines, and we're pretending as we have leverage. I think the American people are smarter than that. 80-plus percent said that we should stay until all the Americans are out. 70-plus percent say and that includes our allies. That is overwhelming.
6: It's going to be a huge issue even though it's this far in front of 2022 and let's not talk about you know the politics of this but everything is wrapped in politics it will be you know crime on the streets of big cities border uh, insecurity and illegal immigrants coming over without you know checks and it'll be foreign policy and how this was handled and likely it'll be other big actors that stir up the pot for the U.S. in days to come.
2: Someone should tell Joe Biden is in trouble. Uh, Brett Bear will watch you tonight on the channel and, of course, on your show. Thanks so much, Brett. We'll see you, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: There's an American hostage still being held by the Taliban. Has the Taliban
8: agreed to release Mark Freericks before the U.S. leaves? Does the U.S. have any plans to leave without this American hostage?
0: Or without
9: getting into specifics, Jen, um, I can tell you that, uh, that we we share the entire government's concerns over Mr. Freericks and uh, our
2: strong desire to see him returned home. To- All right. Uh, he, where's your strong desire? Get to work, tell the president it matters and get him out. We talked to Robert O'Brien today and former uh, acting secretary of defense Chris Miller. It said there was their focus when Robert O'Brien and the president Trump said, get him out. The president would pick up the phone and get him out. Evidently, they're talking about there's a, uh, a drug lord or something from the Taliban in one of our prisons, Uh, there might be an exchange there. Uh, Stop with the meandering and answer something direct. Uh, Ron, listening on FM News Talk 97.1. Hey, Ron.
10: Hey, Brian. Good to talk to you. I had a comment and a quick question. Uh, We talked a
4: lot about forever wars and our bases overseas. We've been, since the Spanish-American War 123 years ago, we've had bases in Guantanamo, Cuba, Guam, the Philippines, and to some
10: extent Hawaii. We've had insurrections there. And my question is, we had some... um, uh, people here in St. Louis were arrested for raising like ten, twelve thousand dollars 12000 to buy non-lethal uh, military gear for ISIS. And that was during the Obama
4: administration.
10: Yep. And $81, $81 billion worth of gear was basically given to an enemy of his country. That's treason in my book. So who's going to jail for that?
2: I agree. I'm not sure anyone's going to go to jail, but just totally inadequate, unacceptable. If you, when you do your fallback plans. Does anyone think, what if the Afghan army loses or collapses? What happens to our stuff? Evidently, the answer was, nobody did. Unbelievable. Go to com. Find out how to get tickets to my live shows from Charleston, West Virginia, Punta Vedra, Florida.